Welcome to NH Young Adults. My name is Abby, in case we haven't had the opportunity to meet quite yet, and we're so glad that you're here. Tonight, we're beginning this three gathering series of this brand new series we're titling Belonging. And I wonder if you're anything like me and you've desperately desired those words to be true in your own life, or you've ever been in a season where you've just craved community. So I believe as we open up God's word and we talk about what it means to step into true belonging in God's kingdom, there are some things that he's gonna wanna teach us. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, it's where we're gonna be throughout this series. But while you're turning there, let me go ahead and give you some context and background information about this passage. So out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is a parable that's only unique to Luke's writings meaning there's something so special, something so set apart that Jesus would want us to realize in this passage. This is also a passage of scripture that's been turned in to literature and poetry and movies and songs, meaning there's something that's stuck out about this scripture, not just for Christ followers, but also for those in our culture. And it's exactly what I want us to study tonight. So beginning in verse 11, God's word says this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two boys. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went out and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. It was there where he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare and yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants now. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw them and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that through you, we always have a reason to celebrate. And so now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. You would meet with us. Teach us a new thing we pray, oh God. For if you do not come and speak, Absolutely nothing of any significance will have happened. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name we all said, amen, amen. Well, I wonder if you ever noticed that so often our minds can be focused on one thing that we completely miss out on another thing. Have you ever been there? I remember when I first told someone I wanted to do a whole entire series on the prodigal. Do you know what they told me? They said, Abby, everybody knows about the prodigal story. It's been told too many times. But I would argue that so often we can be fixated on something we think we know that we can miss out on another thing that God would wanna show. Let me show you what a pastor showed me. 
See, so often we can be fixated on one thing that we can miss out on another thing. For example, Amazon. A lot of you probably know about Amazon. Let's be real, aside from Jesus, Amazon Prime has probably changed some of your lives. But have you ever noticed that that little arrow is taking us from A to Z as a symbol to show that Amazon has everything from A to Z? Do you know how many things I have purchased off of Amazon? Do you know how many times that little logo has showed up in my email? And never, not even once, have I ever noticed that little arrow. Let me show you another one. You ready for it? Wendy's. A lot of you have probably seen this logo on your way to get a Frosty and a small fry. But have you ever noticed that in the little collar of that cute little woman's outfit, it spells the word mom as a symbol to show that their cheeseburgers are just like the ones your mama used to make if she could cook. Hopefully that was for you, not my mama, but that's okay. <laughs> so often we can be fixated on one thing. We can miss out on another thing. Maybe we, this weekend you were watching the Super Bowl, and maybe if you took your eyes off of Usher and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift for a moment, although I bet it was hard because they were a little distracting, maybe you looked down and saw a bag of Tostitos chips. But did you know that in between some of those letters are some people enjoying the chips for themselves? Are you kidding? We can be so fixated on one thing, we can miss out on another thing. This next one is about to blow your mind. New Hope Church. You know of it, you're here, you walked in and you saw our little logo on the fountain, but did you know there's a hidden symbol in there? Let me show you. Do you see the cross? It's amazing. So many times we could be fixated on one thing that we miss out on another thing. And for the son in our scriptures, it's exactly what is happening to him. He's just squandered his entire inheritance on reckless living. He's gone out to a distant country and he's blew up everything in his life that was good. We're talking about a chosen, cherished, beloved son of a good, well-to-do father. This young man is forsaking all of that because he's so caught up in his current circumstance. This son is so distraught in his shame that he can't see past this one thing. And there's a great danger in this because in our shame, we can settle for a place that's below our belonging. If you settle down in these feelings of less than, or these feelings of shame, you'll begin to believe that that's the place that you belong. This man is a son, yet all his circumstance is showing is that he's far from home and he's far from God. So now this son is considering catching swine flu with some pigs as he's settling for a place below his original belonging to begin with. And so often, we can too. If you remain in that season of loneliness long enough, you can believe that the first ounce of attention you get must be good. If all you see are these seemingly perfect Christians that are surrounded all among you, you might believe, well, I'm just a sorry excuse for a follower of God, so why try? When all you know is rejection, you can begin to believe that that's all you are. But I've come to let you know tonight that because of Jesus, brokenness does not run in your blood. There's something within you, something higher and something that's calling you home. 
This prodigal son, he's far from home in our, in our parable. And he's settling for this place in a pigsty until he has this realization, saying, wait a minute, before I succumb to what I see, let me remind myself that I belong to a family, meaning I'm not what I thought. You may have walked in here tonight thinking that all I am is my loneliness or all I am is my singleness or all I am is the shame I feel or the sum of someone else's mistake that they made to me. But I'm here to tell you tonight that because of Jesus, brokenness does not run in your blood. And if we wanna talk about how to find true belonging in God's kingdom, we have to fix our thoughts. Because when it comes to our greatest shames trying to define our name, we need to know that there's more to the story. I'm not what I thought. And that's the title of my message tonight. I'm not what I thought. So here's the first truth for thought if you're taking notes tonight. Nothing can satisfy you like Jesus can. Nothing can satisfy you like Jesus can. Not even your best thing can satisfy you like Jesus can. The scriptures told us that this son had spent all he had, meaning he was probably surrounded by the wildest of parties, the most beautiful of women, the most high places, and yet he still found himself in need. Do you know how lonely it must be to be surrounded by so many people and yet still feel all alone? Do you know how heartbreaking it must be to be lying in a bed so lonely with someone next to you? Do you know how painful it must be to gain everything and yet lose the one thing most precious to you, your soul? Nothing can satisfy like Jesus can. Theologian Henry Nouwen, he said, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I'm the prodigal son. Every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. See, within all of us is this longing to be loved, but nothing can satisfy like Jesus can. No person, no thing, no diamond ring, no next season, nothing can satisfy you like Jesus can. And the farther and farther we run to a place seeking for something else to satisfy, the farther and farther we'll run from the one that speaks ultimate peace to begin with. The one who told us in Jeremiah 31 that I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. The one who tells us in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. The one who says in Romans 8, chapter one, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can satisfy like Jesus can. And do you need me to give you more scriptures? We got a whole Bible full of them. But the story goes, you're already loved and you're already chosen. And John Piper said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You wanna know what it's like to experience true belonging? Get good at believing the words of the one who told you that you already belong in the first place and that's Jesus. So here's the second truth we can learn from the prodigal son. Isolation breeds the enemy's influence. Whew. Isolation breeds the enemy's influence. 
Did you notice in our scripture, it said not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. See, the son was in a distant country, settling for less than belonging until he came to his senses when he was alone with God. It's been said that the enemy's playground is isolation. Some of the enemy's best work is done in isolation because if the enemy can isolate you, if he can remove you from this body of believers who've been placed in your life to encourage you, then he can attack and he can breed his lies. This past week, I was watching some reality TV and you might be saying, girl, what reality TV show are you gonna use in a sermon illustration? The only one that's appropriate, National Geographic. I was watching National Geographic and I saw this lion, king of the jungle. He was sitting down all alone at this watering hole getting something to drink. When all of a the sudden, these hyenas came and surrounded him. Now I've seen the Lion King, okay? I know how this story ends. Laughable hyenas have nothing on Mufasa. But to my surprise, I watched as these hyenas attacked this lion. And do you know why? It's because the lion was isolated. And so the threat became greater. I love how Lisa Turkis says, if the enemy can isolate you, he can influence you. If the enemy can isolate you, he can influence you. Now notice there's a big difference between isolation and being alone with God. It was isolation that caused the son to be far off in a distant country. But it was only till he got alone with God that he came to his senses as Luke 15, 17 says. See, make no mistake, God can use seasons of loneliness in your life for your good. But you can't heal when you're hiding in isolation. You cannot heal when you are hiding in isolation. Don't do it. We for one are a place that's for you. Come talk to someone, talk to me, talk to our prayer team, we're for you. You cannot heal in isolation. That's exactly why the Bible tells us in Hebrews, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but rather let's encourage one another, especially now as the day of return is drawing near. See, true belonging points you to better. But if it was up to the enemy, he would have plans to breed his influence in your isolation. So together, let's break down how the enemy works. And I'm gonna be really honest with you tonight. This is why I think I wrote this sermon for this next part I'm about to tell you. So if you miss anything I say, don't miss this part. See, the enemy is not creative. He's not like God. Since the beginning of the garden in Eden, he's been following this three attack plan for centuries. And this is the plan. The enemy will tempt, the enemy deceives, and then the enemy accuses. The enemy tempts, the enemy deceives, and then the enemy accuses. In her book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Lisa Turkis unpacks a similar three-step attack of the enemy by using an example of marriage. So following in her footsteps, I wanna use that same example for us here tonight. See, first, the enemy tempts. He'll get into your mind and say, you know, you really do deserve to be appreciated more. 
And that person at the office, they get that. You know, I bet they know exactly what it means to cherish their partner. You know, whenever you're hurting, that person's the one that always knows the right words to say. The temptation, you'll begin to desire, you'll begin to imagine what it's like to go to that person instead of your spouse. The enemy tempts. And then the enemy deceives. He says, oh, it's just a little bit of flirting. Just say that one thing in ambiguity late in the evening, it's okay. Just go out with this person. I mean, you told your spouse last week you needed to go on a date and it didn't take you. Just go out, just say those things. I mean, what boundaries can you really cross with your words? It's not like you never cross that line anyway. And then you do. And you eat right out of that enemy's ugly hands as he deceives. And you know the next thing he does is he accuses. He says, how dare you? How dare you call yourself a Christian after behaving like that? How dare you follow Jesus after having thoughts like that? You should be ashamed and you should feel worthless. The enemy accuses. Don't you dare listen to the one with death on his breath when you have a heavenly father who's calling you home. You're still a daughter and you're still a son. And ours is a God that's not saying I told you so, but rather he's saying you're always welcome home. It's exactly what he did for the prodigal and exactly what he does for us. Which leads me to my last thing. Even if you've defined yourself by your worst mistake, God has not. Even if you've defined yourself by your worst mistake, God has not. Yes, the enemy does tempt. Yes, the enemy does accuse. Yes, he does deceive. But I don't mind spoiling the story for you. In the end, the enemy isn't the one that wins. God is. And yes, we have to know that there's consequences to our sin. But at one turn towards God, he changes everything. The prodigal son understood this. Notice in the scripture, it said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Do you see those three important words? He got up, meaning he moved. It's not just about awareness, but it's about action. He was aware that his actions led him to a place he did not belong. He was aware he was not where he was supposed to be. And he could have chosen to just stay there, but he didn't. He had an action plan. And he was aware that there is always a consequence for sin, so he prepared a speech. He was ready to accept the consequence. And I could go all and on and tell you all about how significant this father's reaction is, but guess what, I'm not gonna do it. That's why I put it in part two, so you're gonna have to come back, little tease for you. Be there, February 27th, we'll be right here. See, the son could have stayed stuck in his shame, but praise God, we serve a God that calls us higher and by a better name. But what I want you to see tonight that is even if you've defined yourself by your worst mistake, God hasn't. His mercies are new every morning. 
His grace is upon grace. Yeah, we have to do some hard things. Yeah, we have to acknowledge where we've messed up. Yeah, we have to give thought to walking wisely instead of unwisely daily. But God's love for us, it isn't based on us, but rather it's placed on us. God's love isn't based on you or what you do. It's just placed on you. You can never be more loved than the day that he died for you on Calvary. And guess what? You weren't even there, but he chose to do it. You can always come home. When I was in high school, I remember I was sitting in class one day and this girl told me how she hates God and she hates the church. And I thought, wow, those are some mighty big words. And I said, so why do you hate God and you hate the church? And she began to tell me how when she was young, her parents sat down with her and opened up a Bible and told her that because of what this text said, her brother was gonna be banished from the family. And I watched as this girl began to quote to me the scripture that her parents used to tell her that her brother wasn't coming home. I was just a 15-year-old kid. I didn't know what to do. But by God's grace, someone had just unpacked that scripture at church. And so I looked at this girl and I said, hey, I know what 1 Corinthians 6 says. I know it says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or the idolaters or the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor those greedy, nor drunkards, nor revivals, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And immediately she looked back and said, see, why on earth would I ever wanna follow a God like that? And I said, but do you know what that very next verse in the Bible says after those words? It says, and that is what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next time the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you can look back and say, that's what I once was, but I've been washed, I've been sanctified, and I've been justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, because we serve a God, again, who's not this, I told you so God. Rather, he's this God who stands in all holiness. The only one who's enthroned above all of the dominions, powers, and positions. The holiest of all holies. And yet he still offers us the opportunity to come home. See, one step towards God changes everything. And as we take one step, he takes a thousand towards us. So the question tonight, will you choose to come home to him? Will you choose to run to the one who tells you that you belong already, despite of what you've done? The Bible tells us that truly, there will be more joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people. So at the moment you turn to God, at the moment you come home, even the angels begin to worship with you. So will you make the choice to come home to God as you worship him? Would you go ahead and stand up to your feet with me as we go to God in prayer? Well, God, we come before you. And God, I know the prodigal story is a heavy story. I know that the month of February can be heavy for some of us. God, I know that you're aware of some things in this room and some past decisions that God, I couldn't even fathom or imagine, but God, I thank you. That just as your word says, you are a very present father. It's who you are and what you do. 
And God, I thank you that because of Jesus, God, one step towards you changes everything. We thank you, Jesus, that you are holy of holy. You are the name above all names. You are above all thrones, dominions, powers, and positions, and yet you still call us by name. So God, we give you our worship. We give you our praise. And God, I pray that God, if we lift our hands in pain, if we lift our hands in running back to you, or if we lift our hands just because you're worthy of the praise, I pray that you'd make us so attentive to your voice, God that you are a God who loves us in spite of us. So we worship you today. It's in Jesus' name, amen.